Glover Teixeira choked out Maheta. He's next in line after Style Bender. With the fire selection and the fire reflections, this is fighting with myself. Oh, 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 fighting with myself. Oh, 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 yeah. Welcome to the Fighting With Myself podcast, the podcast for the above-average MMA fan, hosted by a completely average man. And I am that man. My name is Juice. And welcome once again, and perhaps finally, to the Fighting With Myself podcast. Missed you guys, certainly. Um, Last episode was uh, meaningful to me that I got to to do another Hamilton song on the podcast. And then I took a break to work on my new venture, my new project, Breaking the Fourth Wall, the theater podcast, which has been incredibly well received, in my opinion, amongst, uh, you know, people who I care about, friends and and, uh, just uh, good people that I know. And so I thank you if you're listening to this and you also checked out that project, whether or not it's for you, um, you know, whether or not theater is your thing, I appreciate you listening and giving it a shot at least. And I hope I was able to enrich your life because doing that certainly has enriched mine. And already I'm starting to hear myself and I can tell that I have a very emotional vibe right now. Not that I'm getting choked up or anything, but uh, I normally every week when I do this show, I try and bring the passion. I try and bring the fire. And I always try and bring a little comedy. And I just, uh, I don't have the energy right now. Because, uh, well, I was sent home from work because I had COVID symptoms. And we have a little checklist that we have to fill out. And I was honest. And I said I had some symptoms. Doesn't mean I think I have COVID, but I had symptoms. And I was told to go home and get tested. And I'm, I'm so disillusioned with the state of healthcare in this country, uh, testing is not readily available. And uh, for the last several hours, I was scrounging to find a place to get fucking tested for this deadly virus that's going around. I don't say deadly as in it's always deadly. I understand that some people are asymptomatic and, you know, get better. Anyway, that's that's not the whole point of this. I'm not sitting here and debate the fucking severity of the virus. What I am saying is I want to know whether or not I have it. And I've gone through this before, right? Sometime back in August, very beginning of August, so about three months ago, I felt like I had symptoms, tested, came back negative. But this time it feels a little different. And I was just at a wedding where there's a ton of people around and none of them had any fucking masks on. Anyway, what I wanted to do now is to say a couple things before I get into the fight uh, recaps. Uh, we have two fight cards since I last recorded. Um, I'm just going to touch briefly on Hall versus Silva. And then t- uh, we're going to recap the main card of Santos versus Teixeira. What an incredible performance by Glover going to shower him with love before I have to fight with his fans online. Jesus Christ. Um, and we're going to have a have a nice forum. 
But before I do that, I wanted to say something else. Is that lately, it's been hard for me to be an MMA fan. Because there is an overwhelming amount of toxicity amongst the community that I feel like I'm contributing to. And every week, it's like this battle that I have, whether or not it's like a moral dilemma. And on top of that, we are just inundated with fight cards and it doesn't feel special anymore. And week after week, fights are falling out and we're having short notice replacements. And A, I don't think that's very safe. And B, it's hard to get invested in these guys you just found out about. So whilst some of the knockouts and the submissions are entertaining, you expect those. I also wanted to say this. When I woke up yesterday morning, I'm recording this on Monday. I usually record my podcast on Sundays, but I was so busy, couldn't get it done on Sunday. But I woke up on Sunday with the thought that this might be my last show. See, the time that I've spent working on breaking the fourth wall has really enriched my life. And whilst doing this podcast has enriched my life, it no longer gives that same feeling. And I don't want to be doing something. I don't want to be putting out a product which I'm not extremely passionate about. But I do want to say this. I had a very nice interaction with uh, someone I'm a fan of, newly, newly a fan of. Uh, The gentleman's name is Tovan Anthony. You may have seen his work on the timeline. He makes those fire rap videos with his predictions. He'd be like, Santos, my guess, I'm not going to... And then anyway, he's way better than me, but it's fucking dope as fuck. And I I said that I sometimes rap, but not really. Like, it's just kind of like parodies and shit. And I dropped the WAP remix on him. And he was like, I'm going to be checking your shit out from now on. This is dope. And I was like, yeah, dude. Like, that sort of positive energy from, like, a, someone else who... I don't want to say content creator. I mean, he is a content creator, but he's more... Seems like a... Uh, an artist, the way he's doing it. So anyway, hearing that sort of overwhelmingly positive feedback gave me the the boost I needed to, to keep doing this. But I will say this, the way that the show looks uh, moving forward might change. Um, uh, I need to take a break for a while, first of all. Um, I just need to love it again. And, um, when I do return, it may look differently, maybe with a co-host, uh, it may be a podcast about MMA, but not about topical current events. It it may be about, you know, highlighting certain fighters that are doing good in the world. These are things that I'm, I'm deliberating on. Um, and, uh, there's a lot of factor, well, a few different factors involved as to what the show is going to look like when I return. Uh, but in case it is the final episode, I wanted to just give some thanks. And with any, with any of these, you know, things like this, you're going to miss somebody. So I just want to say first, thank you to everyone who has been involved in the show in some way, whether that's listening, that's an involvement, uh, sharing it, telling a friend, leaving, sending in questions, a lot of you multiple questions, which have 
in my opinion, greatly heightened the quality of the show. Uh, when I was doing this uh, show very early on, I didn't have uh, listener questions. And uh, and then when I started getting them, it just sort of snowballed and it became this whole thing. And, and we created the forum and it, it, it just, that's what I wanted the show to be about. And, and it hasn't been that lately. So um, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing here. I wanted to say just a massive thank you to anyone uh, who's ever been involved with it in some way. So if you're listening to this and your name doesn't get listed, know that the thank you is still meant for you because you uh, deserve it. But I, I wanted to mention a few specific people um, that that have just uh, you know been a massive contribution to the show. Um, I first want to thank uh, my my boy Leo, my one of my best friends. Who has been on the show twice now? You might have heard, heard him recently in the bonus episode, and then uh, we did another episode like almost a year ago at this point. Maybe it was a year ago. Shit, it was a long time ago. Um, and uh, he's like my only uh, friend in real life that uh, that likes MMA, and just um, having him to to bounce ideas off of and, and talk about things with uh, have just really helped me do the show. And uh, he's been supporting me from day one, obviously. So thank you to Leo. Uh, I also want to thank the homie T. Cross. Um, I did meet him before I started the podcast, but it was very brief. He's kind of run in the same, some of the same circles. He's a local guy. Uh, but I really connected uh, with him through this podcast, and he's become a good friend. So, uh, and I thank him for for coming on and, and shedding some light about the state of MMA refereeing. Uh, he recently got certified as an MMA ref, and uh, I appreciated that episode that we did because uh, it was it was very like honest, and uh, I feel I feel informative. And uh, speaking of honest and informative, I really want to thank Fernando Prates. Uh, if you guys listen to pretty much any of my work for the last year. <laughs> I think almost every episode has contained a Fernanda shout out in some way or another. I'm always referencing her work. It is some of the best content in MMA that we have. I truly believe that. Um, she's a she's a, just a great person and uh, I'm a big fan of her work. Her writing is incredible and her podcast is incredible. The uh, the best camp of my life podcast, um, which used to be well actually, is just uh, a gem. I really, I really mean that. And I was unmeasurably grateful that she gave me the time. Uh, we did about a, a little over an hour uh, on my show, where we talked about a lot of different social issues and and just uh, just things. A conversation that I couldn't have had with anyone else. So, really appreciate her. Uh, also shout out to Phil, the MMA dude. Uh, he has just become a great friend to me and was one of the like first, like big accounts that I connected with that actually, I feel like we generally have like a good connection that we care about each other's work. I, I was so shocked when I did the, uh, <laughs> the episode after I did the bet about the Henry Cejudo Marlon Moraes fight. Phil was the first person to request a video. <laughs> and I was like, damn, he's listening. Uh, it just meant a lot to me. And so um, I want to thank Phil personally. Um, and I want to also thank uh, Ashley, the MMA nerd. Um, I Ashley was the first podcaster that I connect with. 
She's my soul twin, my birthday buddy. Uh, helped, helped make the name for my new show, Breaking the Fourth Wall. I mean, she's just an incredible person and an incredible friend. So thank you, Ash. Thank you to Rhino, uh, who who I connected with here. Very, very grateful to, to have him in my circle of friends. And he does a great show that uh, inspires me. I really, I really mean that. Um, and thanks to, to G, you know, with the WoCast. Uh, your friendship means a lot as well. And your work inspires me also. And I want to thank the Turbo team. They know who they are. Uh, and if you listen to the show, you know who they are because they were on for an episode. And uh, that was my favorite episode to record, other than the one with Fernanda, because that just meant a little bit different to me. Um and I also want to thank Roxanne Modafferi. <laughs> She's my favorite fighter of all time, like by far. And she listened to my show. I I doubt that she listens regularly and she shouldn't. I talk a lot of bullshit on here that she doesn't need to hear, quite frankly. But uh, I also want to thank, I, I still have no idea to this day how she even heard about me. Uh, heard about the show i want to probably serena but i've never i've yet to confirm that um i did an episode explaining why she's my favorite and what she means to me and she like tweeted about it and thanked me and that was just a big part of of reaching a new height that my show uh was able to reach uh that i think you know otherwise for an amateur podcaster on my level I, i wouldn't have gotten there so i do owe her a lot um and I just want to thank all the people that reached out to me after episode 18 when I uh, talked about my cancer. Uh, it was something that I I didn't want to do initially, but just the outpouring of, of love that I received after that was something I'll never forget. Um, like I got a really nice message from uh, from Chica and I was like, damn, people really care in this community. <laughs> um, so... I talk a lot about the negative because it's easy to focus on that. There's a lot of negativity, especially in the current social climate uh, in the world, really. Uh, but I, the positivity doesn't go unnoticed. And uh, I don't thank you guys enough for it, but thank you for all the positive interactions. Thank you to Genghis. Genghis was the first person to, to really submit a voice question. And now that's a big part of the show. I listen to a lot of the uh, MMA podcasts in the MMA Twitter sphere, and a lot of them have started doing audio questions now, but I was one of the first in my, that I know of, and I, I think I still have the most, and that's all because of you guys. That's not to do with me. That's because of you guys and because of Genghis. So, so shouts to Genghis. And again, I hate doing these because I you're going to miss somebody, and if I haven't said your name, like by no means... Uh, was your contribution any less? I just wanted to highlight those people and I didn't write anything down because I was, I was going to get pretty nervous about it. So I just wanted to kind of flow off the dome and thank those people. Uh, I I probably will be back, but it may look different. The show may look different. I may do a rebrand. I may change names. Like I said, there's a, there's going to be some different kind of content on the horizon that won't be, that won't look the same as this show. Um, but I've blathered on the left. Uh, let's get on with what the show is currently and let's, let's do a nice little podcast here.
So Hall versus Silva. Um, first of all, I did not like a lot of the um, commentary from from people in the community just about this fight when he's announced. Like, if Anderson Silva wants to wants to do one last fight in the UFC, let the man fight whoever he wants, and you know, let him go out how he wants to go out. And he's he's basically done in the UFC by them sort of forcing him to do this but i don't think he's done with mma um but i'll get to that in a bit so as far as the card itself um i only really wanted to highlight the co-main and main just because at this point you've probably heard plenty about it from from other places and i don't want to inundate you with with my shitty takes but um i do have some thoughts on bryce mitchell versus andre feely um i remember giving sort of my my quick breakdown of that or or my thoughts on it on last episode which which was to say that you know if you know we're to believe that experience in MMA matters if we're to believe that uh takedown defense matters just as much as uh takedown offense then Andre Feely had all the tools to win this fight um but i said um because this is MMA, because we don't get the things we want, Bryce Mitchell is probably going to raw dog him. And that's what fucking happened. Now, Feely had some success. Uh, I want to say it was the second round. and I, I typically don't score round by round. I know that's how you score, but as a fan, our scores don't actually influence anything. So I'm not sitting here scoring things round by round most of the time. Uh, especially after the fact, like there's people who remember what round they think what person won, like from several years ago. And I'm sitting here with like a semi photographic memory and I don't even fucking remember that shit. So I'm like, how do y'all remember that shit? Anyway, uh, I want to say it was the second round because Bryce had early success with those takedowns and then looked like he may be gassing and Feely kind of lit him up on the feet. And that's what I wanted to say initially is that although this was a pretty dominant victory for Bryce Mitchell, he showed a lot of holes in his game. If he can't take you down, he's lost. Uh, And not incredibly lost. I mean, a lot of his striking is because of his grappling. You know, the threat of the takedown is there, which opens up some of those winging shots. But anyone with a fucking uh, striking acumen uh, with solid takedown defense is going to embarrass this guy. And it's okay to like Bryce Mitchell. It's okay to to be hyped about him and and think he's going to become the next big thing of featherweight. That's fine. But I'm reserving judgment for now because what I saw was was essentially what I said could happen. The MMA experience and and just knowledge of of grappling helped Feely initially until. Bryce Mitchell just imposed his will and just didn't give a fuck about anything and took him down. But alas, that fight is over. And now we have uh, Bryce Mitchell with his stupid mask optional rant. Fuck out of here, dude. Fuck out of here. I understand if if, like politics isn't your thing. If if you're like, oh, I would ever hate someone because they're politics. I'm, 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 I'm better than you. I get it. Fine. But when you're talking about uh, how we react to a pandemic and when you're talking about something that opinions of scientists matter, 
I'm not going to listen to some fucking dude from Arkansas who eats squirrels and got his nuts caught in a drill. And yeah, those were things that were slightly endearing about him before. But now that he's a fucking idiot, I mean, he essentially always was, but now that he's showed himself for being a fucking moron who doesn't listen to scientists, you can put on a vest with pockets and take a fucking hike. Dust it off. That old chestnut, I haven't said that in one in a while. And so I'll leave that there because in my opinion, I don't want to give Bryce Mitchell any more fucking attention. And I want to talk now about the main event. So Uriah Hall versus Anderson Silva. I don't understand the criticism of Uriah Hall. Uh, There are some fair criticisms, but he seems to be working through them. Now, he won on the Ultimate Fighter, knocked everyone the fuck out. And then Kelvin got the better of him in the the finale, and he just wasn't able to live up to that hype in the UFC. Uh, Then he's had flashes of brilliance. He lit Paulo Costa up in their fight uh, before Paulo Costa kept kicking him in the dick and eventually got the stoppage. Um, You know, he uh, knocked out Gegard in what looked like a video game finish, although the rematch did show that Gegard is the more well-rounded fighter. you know, so there's there's been a lot of good things with Uriah, but his biggest the biggest knock on him was that he his mental game is lacking and that he sometimes uh, succumbs to the pressure and can't put everything together on fight night. Well, the last several fights, basically, I think since the Paulo Costa loss, like every fight after that, he's shown massive improvements in that. I mean, the the shoot face fight, he survived those submissions and he beat that guy up on the feet. So. I'm still a Uriah Hall fan, dude. And as far as like, there's been some criticism I've seen of people saying he had to finish Silva and he couldn't take him to a decision. Pause. Is not the goal of every fight to try and finish your opponent? I mean, don't get me wrong. I love a good chess match. I, I love a good back and forth fight that ends in a decision. Great. But those happen because the style matchups and elite elite competition. When each one is afraid of the other one's power or or whatever, there's different factors, different reasons. But I don't know the fact that he, you know, was like, I don't know, two two and two against him. It was kind of an even split. I think that's a testament to Anderson Silva's greatness. You know, let's not forget this is the guy who went on a a killer win streak came into the UFC, knocked Chris Lieben out in five seconds. He was like an iron chin. You know, Anderson Silva has done amazing things. And whilst he hasn't really looked the same since the Chris Weidman fights, since he got knocked out and then broke his leg, he hasn't really looked the same, but he hasn't looked terrible either. So I don't know. I don't think Uriah Hall deserves a lot of criticism. You know, what's, what's he going to do? This is his hero. He probably was felt bad about knocking him out, you know, in, their, in those early rounds when everything was so tentative. Yeah, it wasn't, uh, you know, some of the criticisms of the fight itself are fair about, you know, they were just playing patty cake and things like that. And it was kind of, 
you know, tentative initially, that's fine. You know, criticize the fight. All you know, I'm not saying this is like the best example of high level MMA. No, what I'm saying is when you have someone with the striking acumen of Anderson Silva, you're going to be a little tentative. And when Anderson Silva is in the latter part of his career facing someone with the power of Uriah Hall, he's going to be a little tentative too. So we saw that, I think. I mean, that's what I saw anyway. You know, you can have your own takeaways from it and we can disagree on that. But what I want to do now is just want to look back on the career of Anderson Silva kindly. Um, Because what I think uh, gets lost is when you have someone who goes on that long of a losing streak, um, he lost to Chris Wyman back-to-back and came back against Nick Diaz that was overturned you know and then he comes back and has the fight against Michael Bisping you know many people think he should have gotten the stoppage in the third round I don't hold that belief I think that's highly contested but um, you know a lot of Anderson Silva fans like to think that he should have won that that's fine either way he didn't look bad that's my favorite fight of all time by the way Silva versus Bisping is my favorite fight of all time and he has the fight against Derek Brunson a lot of people didn't think he won that, but I don't think that takes away from the performance he had in which it was enough to to convince the judges that he won. At that age, facing a guy who's explosive in Derek Brunson, I think that was a nice thing. It was really heartfelt when he had that amazing post-fight interview. And he was like, fight is my heart. It's my air. You know, this is a guy who lives to fight. He's a consummate martial artist. So although he has had some losses recently, you know, he had the fight against Izzy and uh, he broke his leg in the um, Jared Cannonier fight. These are things that happen and I don't think it takes away from the amazing body of work he had. I mean, the title defense record held for so long until Demetrius Johnson was able to break it. But in my opinion, that I think it was the Travis Luter fight where they didn't count it as a defense because Luter missed weight. Anderson made weight. That should have fucking counted. That should have fucking counted. I don't know. I think the we've talked about this before in the podcast. I think the goat debate is silly and it and it doesn't get anywhere. But if you are the kind of person who has those debates, you got to include Anderson Silva. You got to include him. Doesn't matter if he has had a few losses. Now, someone like BJ Penn, who's had an incredible amount of losses and is losing to like scrubs, that's fucking disappointing and very sad and and makes you think that, I don't know, maybe he fucking doesn't deserve the, the, the GOAT thing. But but to, to discount Anderson Silva is just, I don't know, not cool. <laughs> Like I'm sitting here saying, I was about to say it's wrong, but I'm sitting here also saying like it's entirely subjective and there's no criteria for which we can base it on. So for me to say it's wrong is actually contradicting my own words, but that's why this is fighting with myself. Anyway, um, I look back uh, on on the career of Anderson Silva with with fond memories. Um, I've said that I came into to MMA, you know, right. Actually, it was a little bit before his fight with Bisping. Um, is when I really started watching. I mean, I was a casual fan in like, you know, like 2010, but just because of Bully Beatdown. But when I really started watching MMA was 
it was a performance fight with with Bisping, and that uh, that turned me into just like a massive fan. So I owe Anderson Silva a lot. I really do. And now let's move on to Santos versus Teixeira. Mostly going to do the main card, but I did want to highlight one prelim because uh, I'll be honest, I didn't watch these fights live. And I was just hearing a lot of buzz in the timeline about this forearm choke. So I knew because of time constraints, I, I, I was only able to watch the main card, but I was like, I got to find this fucking fight with the forearm choke. So I found this Alexander Robinoff, and I am a fucking just becoming a really big fan of this guy because honestly, we're built the same. I look at him and I'm like, He's represented for the thick boys. Like we got the same body type, dude. If you were to like cut my hair to match his, grow out my beard a little bit, take off my glasses, we're fucking twins. I'm telling you, it's crazy. And so when he like took him down, slid into mount, and just like squeezed that forearm choke, made it look like he was just fucking. It's so disrespectful because it's not even like a super technical choke. He's just squeezing and putting his forearm on his fucking throat and Delima went out. And here's the thing as well. When uh, Romanov made his debut and he fought that, that guy who would just look like they got him at a bar. I was like, well, of course he's going to look like a God against a fucking guy with no grappling. Uh, hello. But Delima has some grappling and I, and he was originally slated to face him, mind you. And I said on the, on this podcast, I said, if he had faced Delima, that fight may have gone differently. Well, I'm here to eat my fucking crow like a champ. That was incredible. And it's the first in modern, first forearm choke in modern UFC history. Um, why they separate those two is kind of beyond me. And I think what they want to do is, is use it. It's like they use it against. What am I trying to say here? They use it when it's convenient for them. That's what I want to say. Because sometimes they include all of it, and sometimes they don't. Like uh, for a while, Hoist Gracie had the submission record. Well, obviously, all of his submissions were in the early era, the non-Zufa era. So how can you say he has the most submissions when all of your other records are counted from modern UFC history? Like they showed the. Other ones that got the forearm choke, Ken Shamrock, Tank Abbott. Tank Abbott got the fucking submission. He's a he's a brawler as well. So it's just like, I don't know, but kudos to him. Either way, it goes to show you it hasn't been done in like 20 years. Because they count modern UFC era starting from the year 2000. So it's been over 20 years, really, because I think those other submissions were before the year 2000, but... Either way, it's it's like proof that this isn't uh, something that happens all the time. So I'm going to be looking well forward. I'm going to be very much looking forward to uh, Alexander Romanov's fights. And then moving into the main card, Jan Shonan is a beast, I have to say. You know, Claudia Gedalia is no pushover. Even though she's had some lackluster fights lately, um, you know, she's getting past her prime. She's she's not the, like, young, scrappy fighter that, took down Yoni and Jacek and, um, you know, gave us all these amazing fights. She still has incredible skills. And in that first round, when she took down Yan Shonan, she wasn't able to keep her there. And I think that really told the story of the fight. Because although Claudia was pressing forward and imposing her will and, and won that round likely, at least on my scorecard, Yan Shonan basically took over from there. And... 
in my opinion, I'm not saying she deserves the next title shot, but when you beat a, uh, a fighter in, Cla- in Claudia Gadelia, that shows that you are um, willing to hang with the elite and able to hang. More than hang, she fucking, not even really embarrassed her, but she clearly won those last two rounds, like, dominantly. So, Jan Shonan is a fucking force uh, in that in that 115-pound division. I think Rose is still deserving of that shot against Zhang Weili, but uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Yan Shonan in there afterward. You know, I still think maybe one more, like if Tatiana Suarez is able to come back, maybe they put a number one contenders fight with those two. Um, maybe someone has an update on Tatiana Suarez that can tell me that that's not going to happen anytime soon, but I don't know. That's just a really exciting fight to me. Um, and it's just a stunning fighter in general, Yan Shonan. Just uh, really looking forward to to her career and see where she's going from here. And uh, Giga Chikadze is scary. That guy is an amazing striker. And his post-like interviews sometimes, like, they leave something to be desired. Like, I I, I, I watch him fight, and it's always like a somewhat of a master class. It's not always like he wins every round. I'm not saying he's like the most dominant force or whatever, uh, but it's always like in the striking area – He's leaps and bounds ahead of his opponent. And then he'll get it on the mic and say weird things. Like he tried to shout on International Women's Day and just completely put his foot in his mouth and said something like, I can't even remember what it was. I remember the time being like, dude, that's not it. Whatever that is, whatever you tried to do there, you didn't do it. Uh, and then there was another, I may have been the same interview, but the other one, he goes, any striker in the UFC, let's go. I'm like, this is not kickboxing, bro. Like you can't just be calling out strikers. You can't, yes. You can say you're the best striker in your division. That's probably true. Although now that uh, Edson Barboza is in your division, maybe uh, that can be a fucking that can be disputed. But don't be fucking just calling out strikers, especially when the elite of your division is filled with grapplers. Like, come on, bro. I don't know. Giga Chikadze is someone I'm I'm gonna be a fan of. I'm ex- he's exciting to watch, and uh, he has a good personality. He just I don't know. But this time, there was none of that. And he got the finish. Uh, first UFC finish for him, which I was surprised to hear that because I thought I remembered. Maybe he just dropped his opponents a lot of times. And I just remember these exciting fights that I assumed one of them ended in a finish, but I guess it hadn't. Um, and uh, moving on from that, Honey Barcelos versus Kali Taha. Bantamweight is the best division right now. It's on fire. It's fucking violence weight. All the fights are complete bangers. They're, the output and the cardio is insane. It's absolutely insane. Uh, I love Bantamweight. If you think about ratio of like boring fights to exciting fights, Bantamweight has to be the lowest amount of boring fights. Just over the cor- the history of the division. Always exciting fights. And uh, I love watching Bantamweight's fight. I gotta say. I really love it. And Honey Barcelos, we have a, a good question about him in the in the forum, so I won't uh, say too much. But he's a he's one to watch for sure in that division. So looking forward to him. And I gotta say, in 2020, when when shit is all fucking sideways, it was nice to see Andre Arlovski get a win, dude. Arlovski is the shit. <laughs> I love <laughs> I love vintage Arlovski. 
<laughs> I love watching him on Bully Beatdown, which is what really made me a fan of his. But what I'm la- why I'm laughing is what I'm thinking. My favorite Andre Arlovsky moment is when Aaron Hawani interviewed him um, asking about Tim Sylvia, who was like in many ways like his biggest rival in the UFC in his earlier days when he got the championship. Um, but uh, I think this is when they were in Affliction and Tim Sylvia was like dating his ex or something like that. So they be- the, the rivalry kind of spilled over into their lives. And uh, he his English wasn't that good at that point. He goes, hey, Tim, how's taste my big pee-pee? <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Oh, my God. The best, well, probably one of my favorite MMA quotes of all time. How's taste my big pee-pee? <laughs> when you say it without the accent, it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> but hearing him say that, I just... It cracks me up every single time. And I've been a fan of Tanner Bozer, by the way. This is not a Rain on Canada's Parade um, episode. As a matter of fact, if I could convince my wife, I'd move to Canada tomorrow. I fucking love Canada. Shout out to all the all the Canadians listening. We have a fair amount of uh, Canadians uh, that listen. Love you guys. You're the best. Um, but yeah, t- Tanner Bozer just seemed... I don't know if he was starstruck or... Or or whatever, or or Andre Arlovsky just had a like similar to to Costa Adesanya where his game plan froze him up. You know, I don't know if uh, what Arlovsky was doing was causing Tanner to to not be. Usually, his output is way higher. It was just something off about Tanner Bozer. And not to take away anything from Arlovsky, because here's what I want to say as well. Like we've written him off so many times, saying he's chinny and he, you know he's done and he should retire and then he comes back and has these wins and he's he's been on the wrong end of some decisions or or at least some close ones where it maybe could have gone either way not saying he got robbed or anything but some some close decisions where he's not going to blow out of the water but the younger guys got the edge um and i think that's credit to especially like the 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 last several fights over the last couple of years when he moved to American top team, I think it's credit to Mike Brown and that whole team. They really like put like a few years on his career. Like it was really, it's been really incredible to watch. I think it started with the Stefan Strew fight. I want to say, uh, but yeah, great stuff from that camp and, and great stuff from Andre Olofsky. Um, and here's the thing, dude, Glover Teixeira can get it. That guy does not get enough credit. Yeah. Maybe his his head is a little lumpy, but if he were to when he grows the goatee, and if he were to like grow out the hair a little bit, he could be a silver fox. Don't lie, don't lie. He can get it. But I I just wanted to say uh, several positive things about him because right now I seem to be uh, at war with people who hate the champ champ stuff and are mad that Izzy is getting the next shot. Cry about it. That's fine. Uh, a champion can always move up in way. Don't tell me that you don't want to see two champions fight at, at any at any point, no matter how many title defenses they have. Cry about it. Uh, but anyway, I love Glover Teixeira, dude. Especially this is uh, like I said every episode. I feel like I shout out Fernando's work, but um, Fernando's last podcast with Dan Tom, they were talking about how Santos and Glover are like two of the nicest guys in the sport. And uh, Fernando shared a story. Just go listen to it. But um, he like was about to fight. Uh, I don't know if he was like next up or it was like later on that night, but he went and like talked to her because she looked like she needed to be talked to. Like, it's just an amazing story. You should uh, go listen to, to best camp of my life. Uh, love it. Love Fernandez work. Um, but yeah, glory to share looked amazing, dude. And it was like, you wonder how much of the knee 
uh, issues with Santos was affecting that. But at one point, Santos was teeing off and Glover was just eating those shots and coming forward. And he got dropped, but then he would go right into a, like a single leg or a double leg takedown and he would get them. And he would slam Santos, not like really slam, but like it wasn't like an ankle pick or whatever. He like would fucking take him down and just he goes hard for the finish. Glover does. Uh, I love watching him fight. And his at his age, that win streak is goddamn impressive. And it's over the top guys. He's ranked now to where, dude, he's fucking next at light heavyweight. But I'm not going to sit here and say I want him to get the shot over Izzy. I'm just not going to do that. I can't have any arguments, especially when people are arguing about the fucking merit and and hierarchy of like divisions and fucking rankings. And and look, dude, MMA is not a sport. You may want it to be a sport. You may be a fan of other sports and you lump MMA in with that. But MMA is not a fucking sport. It's entertainment. When the UFC bought the company in 2000, when when Zufa bought the UFC. They took a look at all the major sports franchise, NFL, NHL, MLB, NBA, specific teams within those sports. They took a look at boxing. And you know what the one they found that they based their business model off of? WWE. That's right. All you MMA fans that hate pro wrestling, we are indebted to pro wrestling because that gave us our business model and that has always prioritized entertainment over sport. And I'm okay with that. And you know what? We can we can have both. We can praise Glover's win streak and we can say he's next and we can have a fun champ champ fight. We don't need to pick one or the other. So what? I'm not going to get into it. I, there's another question about this in the forum that... Uh, I'm going to get to. So for now, I will just wrap up this segment. And now let's get into the forum. And you know what? In putting together the episode, I completely forgot that I owe a big, big, Big thank you to the homie Ill Resolve for making not only the uh, intro music for the forum, the little segue you just heard, but also the uh, the beat from my rap about Anchor, which uh, I don't think will be in this episode. I got a message saying that that uh, partnership or whatever has expired. So um, that may be why I didn't initially think of will but but will is the man and he his music is phenomenal so go check him out ill resolve um on twitter um i think the ad is ill resolve sys but uh you'll find him if you search ill resolve the guy's the man and now let's move on to some questions for the week now we have Lots of different variety of questions, which is good. So I'm I'm happy because I have some stored up from the past two weeks. Um, the first one is from my good homie, Phil the MMA dude. And uh, here is his question. Yo, Juice, what up, son? It's Phil the MMA dude from the Split Decision Podcast. And here is my question 
for this week for you. So a lot of people are talking a lot about this Hamzat Shemaya versus Leon Edwards fight. And my question to you is, how do you see this fight going? It's a five-round fight, so I think we're going to learn a lot about Shemaev regardless. But are people uh, counting out Leon Edwards? I say this because when, the, when the, uh, uh, the fight was first made, Vegas immediately put Leon Edwards as a minus-160 favorite. Leon Edwards is, as of right now, a plus-170 underdog. So Vegas is heavily siding with uh, Shemaev. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on those Vegas odds uh, and how you see the fight playing out specifically. Who do you think will win and how? Thanks so much. Love your show, man. Love you too, bro. Love your show. Go go check out Split Decision Podcast, you guys now. Um, you know, this is a great question. And, and when it comes to Vegas odds, I've said this before or just betting odds in general, whether or not they come from Vegas or what, you know what I mean? Just, just odds. Um, I grew up in Vegas and I grew up around the betting scene and I never put too much stock in it because I know that the house always wins. So whether or not you can beat the system doesn't take away from the fact that the odds are, are there not as a necessarily a prediction of who's going to win, but, it's just, it's about money. And it's like you said, initially he was the favorite because you're, he's the number three ranked guy in the world in that division on an eight fight win streak. Why is he not uh, a favorite over a guy who just came into the UFC who has, I think, I think he's on eight wins now. I mean, I have Chimaya's record in front of me, but they essentially have the same win streak. However, one is a current win streak and the one is a whole record. Like, Leon should be the favorite, but when a, a, a number of bets come in, it swings the line. And so, I don't know. It, it's it's hard to put too much stock into to betting odds. Now, as far as what I think about the fight itself, um, Leon Edwards does have the tools to beat Chimaev, uh, because his grappling is good enough to keep it on the feet, and I think his stand-up is good enough. Now, Chimaev showed in his last fight against Gerald Mearshart, he's got power on those hands. He can knock a motherfucker out. So if he gets Leon worried about the takedown early, which is what he typically does, um, he can embarrass Leon as well. I mean, this fight is so hard to call for me because and, and I was listening to a lot. Um I was listening to the to the the boys from the Shots Fired Pod and G uh as well but everyone from the Shots Fire podcast break down this fight. And I, I mentioned the boys because Mike specifically mentioned, Michael Morgan mentioned um, talking with Jimmy Manuel years ago. And Jimmy Manuel used to train in All-Stars, which is where Chimaev trains out of. And he was like, no, this guy's a different animal, man. Like, don't think, don't worry about his record, like experience. He's a fucking beast. And like from a young age, it's like Chechens and Dagestans, they train with like animals. They wrestle bears and shit and wolves. Like the guy is a fucking different, different being, you know what I mean? So um, hearing those stories and hearing um, there was another one from uh, from Darren Stewart um, talking about how he trained with him and how he's a beast. Like the guy is different. And I've been critical of him because everyone just jumped on his nuts right away. And he still has ties to fucking problematic dictators. 
but his skills are are there on display. And even though the the sample size of what we've seen isn't like vast, he still looked pretty goddamn dominant. So it's not crazy to think that Hamza could win. But here's my question to to you all. Would it be an upset if Leon wins at this point? Is is now the common belief, and now that Leon is the underdog, according to this uh, last question from Phil, by the way, this is old. It's worth mentioning. Um, this was after my last episode, um, so it's it still needed to be to be addressed, but it's not um, necessarily that current. Although that fight's in December, so I would argue that it's even more current. But anyway, yeah, craziness. Craziness that that fight is happening. Like... The fact that they used the rankings as a way for him to to get the fight. And here's the thing. This is why I get lost on these conversations when people talk about merit and the sport and the integrity of, of hierarchy and rankings. Like, they made those fucking rankings up. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and to say that they don't matter is not entirely accurate. Like, I say they don't matter because they can sort of make them up and and the people who decide them are sometimes like in the pockets of the UFC. Like it's not a completely unbiased system. And to say that they don't matter isn't true because they use that in negotiations as we just saw completely. But if you talk about it not mattering in terms of the actual like rules or whatever, it, it kind of doesn't because they fucking just took it away. And then it was like, okay, I'll, I'll accept the fight if you give me my ranking back. Like, that's that shouldn't be the way. That's fucking... They did Leon so dirty. Like, at this point, I'm 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 over it because it's already happened. And uh, I haven't really talked about it that much. But, man, they did him so dirty. I don't even usually, like, make it a habit of defending Leon. Because he makes it hard, dude. He could have taken that Wonder Boy fight. And now they give it to Jeff Neal, and Jeff Neal's probably going to knock a motherfucker out and walk away with Leon's title shot. Jesus. MMA is fucking sad sometimes. But um, I really appreciate that that question from Phil, and uh, I thank you for sending it. And now I have a couple of voicemails to play, so let me cue those up. All right, this next one comes from MMA Catfish. Hey, Juicy Baby, it's MMA Catfish. My question for you this week revolves around pandemic MMA and what do we want out of it? Um, you look at the giant roster of 500-some fighters in the UFC, but I think we probably have a rotation of about 50 of them currently fighting. Now, obviously, some of them may not feel comfortable training and fighting, and that's perfectly okay. But I think this ties into your question about or your comments about when people say a card doesn't look good on paper. And the UFC is supposed to be the top of the pile. We are supposed to be the NFL of football, and everyone else is the lingerie league. And in... The UFC, we are not seeing that. We are seeing tons of fighters signed often the week of the fight card or brought in time and time again to fight when they haven't even fought in the UFC before in order to fill out cards. And so, I guess, I would say that we have to simply accept that in the current environment, 
regional level MMA that is entertaining is kind of all we can expect due to circumstances. And that the UFC is probably doing the best it can under those circumstances. However, when they are asking us to pay for a product, especially a pay-per-view, and I would like to point out that an ESPN card is not free. You don't get ESPN on free TV, and you definitely don't get the app subscription for free. So that is also requesting money from us. We do have a right as people who purchase their product or at least being asked to purchase it, wink, wink, to critique the level of the product they give to us. No different than we critique the level of the product we receive from any other company that asks us to give them their money. And as always, FMP. Yeah, dude. Fuck Mike Perry. FMP. Um, you guys should go check out his podcast, uh, Catfishing with the Tad Daddy. It's not really MMA, hardly at all. He mentions being an MMA fan, and it's sometimes emotionally he talks about like social issues and different things. And uh, it's been a lot of politics lately. And I gotta say, like the politics is on point. Um, but the but the MMA stuff is good too, and it's sprinkled in. Uh, yeah, I'm actually I, I want to talk about quickly uh, one thing that doesn't really have to do with your your call in at all. Uh, but it reminded me when you talked about, you know, paying for ESPN, uh, it fucking makes me so mad that um, we pay for ESPN plus and there's too many goddamn commercials and they don't show the corners in between rounds. And what when they first started off doing ESPN plus. They rolled out this whole thing with Trevor Whitman being on the broadcast to talk about the corners. And that was awesome. But it's been few and far between. And I know that it's kind of his schedule. And I hadn't even forgot about this until I watched the card last night when he was on for the first time in several months. And he didn't even talk about the corners. He was just like, what we're seeing is high-level MMA, the striking, the defense, everything is on point. I'm like... Yeah, dude, I get it. I, I knew that. I wanted you to tell me what I didn't know. I wanted you to talk about the corner stuff because Trevor Whitman is one of the best coaches in MMA. Not only that, his cornering is great. In between rounds, if you just listen to the audio of what he says uh, between rounds, the guy's advice is fantastic. And the, those initial cards when he was on and he would talk about that, when he would agree with the corner or disagree and then expound upon it and say, here's why they said that and here's what they mean and, and here's what we need to see from them. I love that. I was feeling like we're getting like on the fly analysis. Where's that? That's what I want to fucking pay for. Not you to say, oh yeah, this is a great fight. I don't mean to be like mad at Trevor Woodman. I, it, it's, it's the use of how he's being used. It's not his fault, but the fucking, uh, we need more. But that ties back into what you said is that we are there's an expectation with the product. There is an expectation of what we get. And yeah, I have been saying for the last several weeks, several months really, don't judge a judge a card until it happens. Like if it looks shit on paper, the fights could still be bangers. And that's true. But lately, I've been sort of seeing past that and I'm seeing beyond that. And what I am seeing is what you're right is we're getting too many like late notice call ups for people that may not have otherwise get the call. And I, and I, and it, it feels like to say that is kind of shitting on these guys. Cause I don't want, uh, you know, or, or women, any men or women that are getting signed to the UFC. I'm so happy that they got that chance and they got that call up and the opportunity and good for them. And they're providing for their family when they might not have otherwise due to, you know, being out of work for the 
pandemic, you know, many people are in that situation and it sucks and it's awful. But when you're, you're right, as a fan, as someone who is paying for the product, I want more. And I, I want, right now it feels like banquet food. And I, I know a lot of people don't like Luke Thomas, but Luke Thomas was spot on with this in, in, when, in his assessment of this. I'm not talking about the pandemic. This is actually well before the pandemic. This is about the UFC doing like 13 straight weeks of cards and, and just back to back to back to back fights and sometimes two per week. Like at, at a certain point, it becomes banquet food. When you're making a like food for a banquet or a large gathering, you're not making gourmet high-level food. You're it, It's quantity over quality. You have to make a lot of it and sometimes the quality suffers. And that's what's happening here. We're no longer getting five-star Michelin star meals. We're getting banquet food. And don't get me wrong. I love a good buffet. I love fucking all types of food. <laughs> but what what we're paying for is not what we're getting. And I think that criticism is fair. I don't think it, it makes you a casual to say that. I think we need to stop weaponizing that word. Some fucking faceless cuck said defund casuals on my tweet because I said Glover should have to wait. Fuck you. I know that person isn't listening, so don't feel like that's against you, but fuck that guy. Fucking hiding behind a Yoel Avi piece of shit. Anyway, dude. Thank you, Seth. I think there's another one from Seth, actually. Um, so let me cue that up. Hey, Juice. It's MMA Catfish. Can you believe the absolute trash we just watched? Light heavyweight in the UFC is trash. And that is why John Jones was not even interested in the fights and underperformed. Plus, Jackson Lee tends to overgame plan. We just saw old, ridiculous Glover work Thiago Santos in just a ridiculous fight. Apparently, Santos never learned how to sprawl on his new knees, which was very unfortunate for him. And what a dumb decision not to make Glover stand back up after he'd already rung his bell and just finish him with a KO. Now, having watched all of that, and Santos, Glover, and Anthony Smith all fought John Jones, and John Jones just trashed Glover, and Glover just whooped up on both of them, I just am here to say... Can we please cut Anthony Smith and Thiago Santos? And, oh, oh, one more thing. F-M-P. <laughs> I got to say, man, I don't understand this take. So it, it was trash because Glover finished a guy who went the distance with John Jones? I don't understand that. I got to say, I was highly impressed with Glover. And yeah, Thiago Santos, it probably was the knee. I kind of alluded to that. But um, we shouldn't be cutting Thiago Santos. Because, I mean, yeah, if you want to cut Anthony Anthony Smith, that's fine. I still am an Anthony Smith fan, but uh, he came at Cyrus one time, and that wasn't cool. So, so we're smoking the Anthony Smith pack every now and then. But uh, I still love the guy. Um but fucking, I don't, I don't understand this, quite frankly. Um, it also sounds like a John Jones apologist saying he was underperforming. I think he was performing at 
the level that he needed to to win those fights. Um, wow. I'm like, I'm, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I will say it's funny, the, the Google Voice transcripts that come in for these voicemails. Um, when he was saying about... Um, he says, Santos never learned how to sprawl, uh, to sprawl on his new knees. It was very unfortunate for him. What a dumb decision not to make Glover stand up is what he said. But <laughs> the fucking transcript says, dumb decision not to make love or money back up. Gotta love you. Like I said, go check out his podcast. Seth is the man. Uh, Seth also deserves a shout out as far as when I was thanking people earlier, I'm just a piece of shit and I forget. And that's why I said to thank everybody who's ever sent in uh, a, a question because you mean so much to me that you don't even know. But uh, Seth is great. And we got one more and this person doesn't say their name, but I, I think I know who it is. Um, so I'm just going to play it and then we'll, we'll respond. Hey, my man. I just had a quick thought. Is it in the light heavyweight division's best interest that Israel Adesanya wins the belt, as well as middleweight's best interest. Could he possibly defend both belts enough so that the divisions do not get jam-packed? I don't think so. I see it all the time. We see a fighter get two belts, and then it just makes the two divisions jam for the next three to five years. It happens 155 when Connor did it. It happens um, when else? I don't know when else. But it, it happens. It shit happens. That's my point. <laughs> what do you think? All right, I think that was Kairos. It sounded like Kairos. Um, what I what I want to say to you uh, is that that criticism is fair. If you are someone who doesn't like the champ champ thing because of that, uh, because of clogging up divisions, I get it. Um, it almost makes me want to call for. I mean, if you if that's something you really care about about like clogging up the divisions, it almost makes me want to say like. You know, super fights should happen at a catchway where neither belt is on the line. Let's just see who's the best and let's have a fun fucking fight. But it is for, you know, it's for bragging rights. It's for, for, for those two belts. And, you know, I want AC to have that moment. Um, and I'll, I'll say this, my, my defense to this point, uh, which is a fair criticism, by the way, um, AC's strength of schedule, I think would allow for that. And to me, like, yeah, Rob, Whitaker does probably deserves the next shot at middleweight, but he's only won two since losing to Izzy. Uh, it's not like he's on this crazy streak and can be denied. He's already lost to the current champ, and he's only won two since. So his case is less strong than it would be normally, but it's still stronger than any other one else in the division who doesn't really have a case at all. So okay, Rob is next, but is he that next? Well, he's not ready right now. Because he's having a baby. And that's beautiful. Jan is also having a baby and needs to wait until March. So they're making that fight. And I won't even... We'll get to that as far as why they're making that fight. But in terms of, is he going to defend both belts? I like to think so. Uh, because light heavyweight and, and middleweight don't often have like clear-cut contenders. Um, and But I think because Izzy said he's not trying to bulk up uh, and then cut down to 205, he said he walks around close to 205, and he'll just make sure he weighs in at 205 on fight night, and then whenever he fights back in middleweight, he'll do the same cut he's always been doing. I think it's fucking 
perfect. He's done it in kickboxing. He's done it in kickboxing. He's done it in boxing. Uh, the guy has had over 75 box uh, kickboxing fights. He's had like 100 combat sports fights, okay? So to say that he doesn't have the strength of schedule to uh, when willingness to defend both belts, I don't think is fair. I mean, yes, Connor was the first one to kind of popularize the whole thing, and he set a precedent of like not needing to defend. Um, Connor went up. He never really went back to featherweight, but if you looked at the way he looked on the scale and then how he looked in those other fights, the, the writing was kind of on the wall. I'm not saying that like uh, forgives it, but I'm just saying we knew he was never going back to featherweight. They should have just fucking stripped him. Like, yeah, I'll let him get his moment, but then you should have fucking stripped him. Um, Daniel Cormier, he went up, but he defended that second belt. And I'm trying to think of another one. Cejudo, but he retired. I mean, Cejudo's a piece of shit. Um, Amanda's defending both belts, but that's because the one division is like not really existent. So yeah, I mean, the the criticisms are fair, but Izzy, I think, can do it. And I know that's kind of like what we say always. Because initially, when Connor was on his run, he did have the strength of his schedule. He was fighting like five times a year. And that's why Daniel was like, oh, yeah, he can defend both belts. But then the way he acted afterward, it was like fucking so clear that he was never going back to featherweight. Like They should have just, I don't know. The whole Conor McGregor saga will be defined by the UFC letting him get too big for his britches and lead them around. And uh, it's just gross. So... Thank you. I think that was Kairos. Kairos definitely sent in uh, a voice question, which we're going to hear right now. So I'm going to play that and we'll see if it sounds the same. Juice, what is going on? First and foremost, I just want to let you know, I appreciate you incorporating Hamilton into your show. I know it means little from a person like me because I'm not like the huge theater nut. I don't know that much, but I always appreciate high level creativity when I see it. Now to my real question, which is, why are Yair Rodriguez and Zabit Magomed Sharipov not fighting each other? That is the real number one contender fight at 145 pounds. And them dancing around and pretending and masquerading like that fight isn't the most important fight in the division right now is beyond me. Make it make sense, man. Bro, yes. Um, first of all, thank you so much for that. Um, for that shout out. And uh like I said, it, it was very meaningful that I got to do that. Um I did it for uh for for Ash and uh, Holly Holm, um, but to do like the King George one, which is like the only role I could feasibly play, really meant a lot. And uh, I'm getting choked up thinking about the, you know, how well it was received. Um, Zabini Ayer, dude. People were saying that Ankalaev and Kutulaba was like the Tony Habib that no one wanted. Because of how many times that fight fell through. Well, the, that was the rematch. Tony Habib never actually fought. So that those comparisons weren't necessarily apropos. To say that Zabin Yair is the featherweight Tony Habib, I think is accurate as fuck. Because they have been matched up so many times. And each time it's like, yeah, this is the biggest fight. And they're like two super dynamic strikers in that division. Uh, Zabit seemingly unbeatable. Yair thinks he can beat him. You know, Yair's putting people away like, this fight needs to happen. And he's so right. Like, this is the true number one contender fight that they're just 
like not even talked about. That fight was re recently matched up. It was supposed to happen in October, I think. That shit is fucking unacceptable that we're not getting this fight. I also need to see Zabit go five rounds. Some of these fucking cucks that defend Zabit and they're like, why does it matter if he's never gone five rounds? He'll go five rounds in the championship fight. Bro, you shouldn't be... Anyway, I'm not even... Get... There's... It's such a baseless argument, but like... <sighs> Fuck Zabit. <laughs> I... That ass pulled out of the fucking fight with Calvin Cater when it was scheduled for Boston. And then weeks later... They were like, oh, yeah, I can do it in Moscow. That's no problem. Well, I saw that ass at the Freehold Mall looking uninjured as fuck. Hey, man, I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist, but I believe what I see. Anyway, fuck's a beat. Fuck Yair, too. I saw him forgot that that motherfucker called uh, called uh, Jeremy Stevens Muddy Cohen and all this other bullshit. Oh, fuck. Fuck yeah, you're, dude. I went off on him in Spanish on the podcast, dude. Dude, that also will always mean like a lot to me that I was able to do a Spanish intro on the on the podcast when I sang that Juanes song. And I was like, Hoy me voy a ir. Hoy me voy. Ponte un chaleco con bolsillo si hace una caminata. Fucking yeah, you're, dude. Getting hyped thinking about it. Like in a bad way. Either way, I need to see one of these dudes get knocked out. Come on, UFC. Make this fight happen. Hey, Juice. This is Dilla from the Dillo's Dojo podcast. I just wanted to ask you, because I know you're catching up on the fights and everything. Um, Ronnie, or Roni Barcelos, he's 16-1 now. He looks so much like uh, WEC Aldo. My question to you is, do you think that he's going to touch the top 15 and if he's going to come close to a title shot with the way he's fighting? Um Thanks for answering this on air if you do. Hell yeah, man. Dillo's the man. You guys should go follow him. He's great. Um, did not expect this question from him. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, dude. I think I really do think he's going to be the next big thing in Bantamweight, at least right now. But but that division is full of so many killers that like I wouldn't even be surprised if he never reaches the title shot just because there's so much other competition. But I, I think if, if given the the right matchups, he could make it. But he, honestly, he looked even better than WC Aldo, if I can say that, uh, without being too blasphemous. But like Aldo's thing was always like not getting taken down and like beating up with with his Muay Thai. Well, Hayoni Barcelos was beating up uh, Halitaha, but then he also like took him to the ground and took his back. He almost finished the ch choke at one point. Like my man's got skills. Uh, like really. Really impressive stuff from from Hayoni Barcelo. So, yeah, to answer your question, I think he will be uh, at least get a title shot. I can say that. I don't, I don't know if I can say that he'll be champion. I think people like rush that, but you can say like he will fight for the belt. Hey, Juice, it's your big homie Rhino from the Combat Sports with the Rhino podcast. Uh, we saw a great performance from Glover Teixeira last night. He is, I believe, 41, and uh, I myself am 42. So it kind of prompted the question in my mind of, what is your favorite performance from an over-40 combat sport athlete? For me, George Foreman winning the heavyweight title in boxing at the age of 45 was amazing uh, back in the 90s against Michael Moore. The, the fact that some of these guys are 
becoming this age and being able to perform at such a high level is really, really cool. I love seeing it. Um, so, yeah, what's your favorite performance from a combat sport athlete over the age of 40? Thanks very much, brother. Talk to you later. Peace. My man. Uh, guys, go check out Rhino's podcast. It's fucking awesome. I, I, we're always texting about it. We always text each other about each other's like podcasts. And I was texting him this morning, actually. I was listening to his show. Um, yeah. Love Rhino. Love his stuff. Um, you know, I think Bernard Hopkins doesn't get enough credit for, for boxing until he was 51. Um, and I know he kind of went out on his, on his back, uh, got pushed out of the ring. I think it was Joseph, Joseph Smith. I mean, that makes me think of like, um, Book of Mormon, <laughs> but um, Joseph, uh, the guy's name was Smith, I think. It might have, may have also been Joseph, the construction worker that knocked him the fuck out, dude, pushed him through the ring. That was that was sad. But before that, him able to compete at a high level for up until he's fifty one is admirable as fuck. I also want to throw in um, Randy Couture there. Uh, you know, Randy Couture, I think he was a champion up until he was like forty three. I want to say. And uh, at 46, he was able to ankle pick and fucking choke James Tony the fuck out. And that's Rhino's favorite boxer. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, but yeah, dude, uh, Randy Couture is the man. And I always think about that. I think, did Chael Sonnen have any wins over 40? I don't know. Um, Anderson Silva competing at 40 was impressive to me. Um, I don't know if I can pick just one favorite. Like I said, Randy, uh, I mean, at a time when, when the sport was new and there were so many like young guys in it and he was beating up the young guys, like that was pretty, uh, you know, inspirational him spanking Tito. I mean, my God, <laughs> fucking a, thank you for your question, Rhino. Hey, Juice, how you doing? It's MMA by Milliken. So we've seen with fighters when they miss weight, particularly for the strawweight division, that they're moved up to, you know, whether it's the commission or whoever, they're moved to uh, flyweight. Okay, we saw that with Grasso and Calvillo. However, even if a fighter makes weight, but the promotion finds out, like Gedalia, they know that the weight cut is, and Gedalia and Ioana Jacek, they know the weight cut is severe. Should they be allowed, even though the fighter can make weight, should they be allowed to tell the fighter just flat out, this is it, you're going up? Like, they, they made the weight, but they know it's a severe weight cut. Should they be allowed to just tell the fighter, look, you're moving up to the next weight class? Thanks. Take care. This is very interesting to me. Uh, first of all, I, I've, I've, go check out MMA by Milliken's podcast. He's a great guy. And um, we had a, a nice interaction earlier today where he was saying that um, he wants to, to uh, promote his art more. He got a separate account for his art. And uh, it looks amazing. So shout out to Milliken. But uh, the weight thing is interesting because I always thought Claudia Gadelia like cut a lot of weight, but she's not like big. She's got one of those frames that where she carries a lot of muscle. And, um, you know, even at straw weight, she's not the biggest straw weight in terms of her length and her reach and height. But she somehow is like outweighs a lot of them. Um could she have success at 125? I don't know. I mean, the the mountaintop is Valentina, and that's, you know, I don't want to say insurmountable, but, you know, many have tried, many have failed. 
what are you going to do? Um, but when it comes to uh, forcing her to move up or, or just in general, that concept. Okay. So a lot of that stuff is done by commissions and the UFC does have say where they like, um, I want to say it was like with Frank Yeager where they were like, after he lost to Benson Henderson, they're like, please go down and wait, please drop down to 45, please fight Aldo instead. Um, and then his team around him was big and moved to 135. I mean, I don't know how much the UFC was involved in that, um, but certainly they would have liked that probably earlier. Um, but when you talk about forcing people to move up, California does that. California has a 10-point plan. Andy, Andy Foster, the, one of the best commissioners we have with uh, state athletic commissions, has like a 10-point plan in place to monitor weight cutting. He makes them weigh in like 30 days out of the fight or whatever. And if they're too heavy at that point, they're fucking, it gets moved up. Like Aljo was fighting Barao and they had to make it a catch weight of 140, I believe, in California. I don't think Claudia has fought in California, at least not recently. So she probably isn't subjected to that. But, you know, that's part of it. The The commission has to be involved. Um, because I don't think the promoter can really force you. I mean, when you even when you get into the commission forcing, like it, it gets into like a tricky situation where it's like a government entity telling someone, you know, what they should weigh. Like, I understand it's for their job and it's for like health and safety reasons, but you know, the, the, it's a little bit fugazi there. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, you have to tread carefully. Um, uh, but personally, um, I just think she should manage the weight. Better. I mean, I, I don't even necessarily know if she has rough weight cuts. You know, some people with a carry a lot of muscle, they're able to just like they stay real lean and the weight comes off easily. Uh, I don't know if that's the case for Claudia Gadelia. Um, I'm certainly usually a proponent for uh, people moving up, but it's always trickier and, and, and w women handle weight cuts differently. Um, I don't know that from personal experience, obviously, but having talked to, not talked to, but listen to interviews with several female fighters, they say that women weight cuts are different. And so you can't necessarily um gauge one by the other and um who knows what what claudia feels like she knows her body and um whether or not she decides to stay is is her choice i wouldn't like to see anyone force her um there are some guys that that needed to be forced you know but uh i don't think she's one of them hey juice what's going on my brother Oh, man. I woke up this morning. Fucking minus 10. 50k an hour wind. Look it up, you Fahrenheit fuckers. It's cold, man. It's cold. Winter just showed up. And I had uh, Tanner Bowser winning two rounds to one. What? No leg kicks? What? What leg kicks? Okay, that's fine. That's what we're doing. All right. I'll get over it. No problem. Oh, <laughs> uh, you guys go check out Decrons. He's the man. He's another one that uh I really, really am glad that I connected with. You know, he's a great source of positivity in this often fuckery of a community. Um as I as I mentioned earlier. I'm gonna actually look up the conversion because it's funny you say that you're like, look it up. Dude, minus ten in Fahrenheit is still um uh really cold. So I know I know Celsius is always lower. Minus 10 Celsius. Oh, that's 14 Fahrenheit. That's not bad. I mean, it is bad. Uh, I've been in weather in the teens, uh, and it's been shitty. But uh, 
Look it up, you Fahrenheit fuckers. <laughs> That's funny. He's the man. Go Canada. I said, I'm reminding, I had I made a promise that if Felicia Spencer beat Amanda Nunes that I was going to sing the Canadian National Anthem on the podcast. I th- I still wish that I had done it just because like that would have been fun. And I may have to learn it if I if I do end up moving up north, but that's likely not going to happen, especially now that Biden won. Like if Trump had, if on a, on a real note, if Trump had won, I would have been trying to convince my wife that we should move to Canada. For real. But like, thankfully that didn't happen. And I get to stay in America. Whatever that means. Hey, Juice. Me again. I've calmed down a little. Um, in full disclosure, I usually tie one on fight nights. And I have to rewatch them again with a sober critical eye. But what I really wanted to know is uh, the Yan and uh, Gedalia fight. Um, I think Herzog was reffing that. What did you think about the restarts? I thought they were working fine against the cage. Um, do you think that there is a double standard when the ladies are fighting when it comes to uh, standing them up, you know, like restarts, uh, stoppages, etc.? Um, I just wanted to know what you thought if there was a double standard. And I hope everyone has a great Sunday. Stay warm. Bye. <laughs> Dude. Uh, this is an interesting question. So the standard you're talking about, it's funny. Uh, I listened to his message before I watched the fights. Cause obviously I was, like I said, I missed them on the night and I was late. Um, so I heard his message and I was like, Oh, I'll pay attention. He was right. It was Herzog. Um, I don't remember a significant amount of restarts and none that I was like, in, like pissed off. Sometimes like, like Mark Goddard does this, this a lot where he'll stand up someone that I feel like is still working. Like he did a lot with Kamaru and Tyron Woodley. I was like, come on, bro. Um, actually, Kamaru may have even gotten to finish if he didn't fucking do that. But he, but here's the thing. And as far as the bias when the ladies like that's I think that's fair when it comes to like stoppages sometimes they they stop them maybe quicker than usual i don't know how much weight that is because early stoppages happen with the men as well it's maybe not just that so uh that's not always fair in my opinion but as far as like consistency herzog ref the rematch between holly home and raquel pennington and he let holly just push her up against the fence for 15 minutes with almost no separation if at all like i, I don't think that's uh you know saying that Herzog does that, and, and that it was uh, egregious because I, I didn't, I don't remember seeing a lot of those in that in that fight. And even even when when it happened, I th- I think it was fine, personally. But I'm a fan, of, and and I side with my my buddy T Cross on this. I I shouted him out earlier. Um, he does a great podcast called Tea Time with T Cross. Um, but uh, he's a certified ref, as I mentioned. He says he his feeling about it is that there should be no standups. Like if you're on bottom get up like i think especially now that there's no crowd we, we should stop fucking pandering to the just bleed fans like this is a sport and i use that loosely because i said it's not really a sport but this is a contest in which there are rules and one of those rules are you can take a fucking opponent down and you can work first mission you can grind a pound you can do whatever you want so if you have a rule where there are no stand-ups you would have fighters 
that aren't stalling. Like, yeah, you could make an uh, argument that sometimes someone on the top is stalling, like maybe lay in prayer or whatever. Okay, but in the, in those cases, the person on the bottom is often stalling because they're waiting for a stand-up. Well, if there are no stand-ups, they're going to be working. And so the onus is on the person on the bottom to get up. That's how I feel about it. And yeah, sometimes it's boring as shit if they're not doing anything, but they're not doing anything because they want to get stood up. And if that's no longer uh, an issue, it, it should fucking, you know, just do the damn thing. F figure it out. Jiu-jitsu, whatever. I don't know. So dumb. <laughs> but uh, guys, uh, thanks so much for those questions, those audio questions. Now we are moving into the Twitter questions. Um, in the past uh, a couple of months, I've been using the Threadhead Media Forum. I just was so busy that I didn't, I couldn't make a post. Like it does not, it's not that much. But I just figured, like, I'm not going to be live watching the fights. Let me just make a post the next day on Twitter. Uh, and my theory worked. I got more questions. Um, you guys are just afraid of the threadhead media forum um but uh this first question is from the homie dave frets at dave frets another one i forgot to thank because i'm such a fucking idiot dave frets maybe the most bomb logo in the history of logos and uh made some because of that i got i got some incredible merch which a lot of you have purchased so thank you for anyone who purchased that as well um I, the more i talk about it, i definitely i think i can't go away for good um because i've i've just built too much so far to just walk away but i need to take a break but anyways i digress back to dave's question um go give dave frets a follow he says juice a lot of noise lately about the way the ufc conducted their business in 2020 with so many new fighters getting opportunities what takeaways if any do you have from all this from any angle caliber of fighters caliber of fights literally anything so great question and i touched upon this a little bit when uh i addressed uh seth's question i'm mimic catfish so you know i was one of the ones that was very critical about the ufc wanting to to get things started early and here's my fucking opinion on the whole pandemic okay whether or not you think it's real like people have lost their lives and in a situation like this, it's on a global scale, we really are seeing how certain governments handle the situation and just how shitty they are. Namely, ours, the fucking Trump administration, fucked us and pretended it didn't exist for too long. And then the, the whole fucking, the whole, and then not even just them, just the way our government is set up with having, letting states have different regulations. Like there's no fucking consistency. And, I believe if we if they had given us like two weeks to say, hey, like, let's get some funds together. Um, we're going to pay you to stay at home for a month and no one leave their fucking house. We'll bring you food, like have a government task force or whatever and isolate and everything, proper precautions. We would have beaten this thing. But instead, we had they were dragging their feet with letting places close down. They were fucking people were like clinging to hope that they would find things out and they were and, and and not enough people listen to scientists you had too many fucking mask truthers and mask optional cucks and and they've spread this fucking thing and so we're getting to a point where we're now the economy has suffered and people are having to open up and you have to let people do that and so i'm glad that things are open again but as far as like cases they're still going up 
and uh, a second wave is coming. We're going to shut down again because people weren't fucking planning ahead. And so the UFC deserves some some uh, praise for a giving us entertainment while we we're on lockdown. Because now now we're not at least where I'm uh, at. I, I know the UK is on lockdown, but the giving us entertainment not only that, but giving the fighters work and uh, letting them provide for their families. But dude, you fucking rushed it a little initially, and then now that it's going on more, people are getting more lax. And especially with signing, like, I talked about this, like, they have to quarantine and test and, and do that. And when fights fall out and you're, you're giving a guy um, a fucking contract, of course he's going to say, oh, yeah, I've been isolating, I've been isolating. No, he fucking hasn't. He was in training camp. Like, bro, come on. Like, this is something that requires contact. And it's like, it's literally... So fucking, I'm I'm just getting upset about. It. I can't even put together like a proper thing. But my takeaway, uh, as far as like how they've conducted business, I mean, from a business standpoint, they did whatever they had to do for their business to get money. I mean, they've made a ton of money in 2020, and they have um, shelled out a lot of money for testing. But they've also like they just said they're gonna build a, a hotel. A, $10 million hotel in Vegas so that they can become self-sustaining and use that. You better believe that they're doing that to be able to skirt some, some regulations when they can and all in the name of cutting costs and putting on more events, which again is going to be banquet food. And we're going to just be, they're forcing these cards down our throats. I don't know. This is another reason why I'm, I'm wanting to take a break because I'm just, I need to, to step away and I, I need to appreciate MMA again because right now I'm I'm feeling less appreciative and that maybe isn't the UFC's fault. Maybe that's just on me and uh, I'll have to see. All right, question from MMA Visual at MMA Visual. Love this guy. Uh, he says, what's next for Santos? Honestly, I think the Reyes fight makes sense. Um, a lot of people are saying that in the comments and... Uh, 99% people, uh, 99% sure those people don't listen to the podcast. So I don't know why they're coming into a podcast forum and they don't listen to the podcast. But um, Santos uh, should fight Reyes probably. Um, or maybe Yuri Prochaska. Uh, I'm always wanting to throw him in there because his debut is exciting as fuck and he's got a lot of hype coming from Ryzen. So that would be a banger of a fight. Santos versus Yuri. Are you kidding me? But um, Or even Santos versus Vulcan. Hell. Um, but. Uh, Santos is ranked number one. You know, Reyes just fought for the title. Like, it kind of makes sense. They both just lost. You know what I mean? Uh, and that would be a, a banger of a fight as well. Next question is from Brat. She, her name now says Enthu Cutlet. Probably pronounced that wrong. It's at Brat MMA, who heretofore was the only person using the Threadhead forum, other than Dan and Cyrus. I'm pretty sure it's literally those three. I don't know if anyone else, but she was consistent. Always did it. Shout out to Brett. Much love. Um, she says, they just announced Blades versus Lewis. So my question is, why? Will that fight change anything in the division, or did they just book it just to book a fight? Honestly, I think that's a number one contender fight. Because if you look at the streak that, that Blades is on and that Lewis is on, they don't have, an, like, on their own, a case for a title shot. But with a win over 
either one. Like if Lewis defeats Blades, like, okay, he's next. Or if Blades defeats Lewis, that's next. And um, I always love seeing them fight. Um, I've said this before. Like I, I was slow on the on the Curtis Blades train because I watched him fight live at two thirteen, and it was an absolute fucking stinker. And everyone was booing, and I, I'm not a fan of booing. Like if you're at your home, boo, that's fine. But in an arena, like, come on, dude, they don't give a fuck about you, and 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 you're just being an asshole. Uh, but he was getting booed, and he was like, "You're booing me." I'm like, "Don't fucking act surprised, yo. You just laid an egg." fucking stinker but he always comes out to the mortal Kombat theme song and i appreciate that heavily and uh he's just grown on me and uh i think as people are like they think his wrestling is boring which sometimes it is but i think when when people like are too critical it makes me like turn like i defended him heavy uh with the volkov fight it's my most liked tweet today i was like hey man if you don't like wrestling there's a whole other sport called kickboxing and they could use some fans get the fuck out and for some reason, 1,100 something people thought that was worth liking. Anyway, dude, um, my response to this fight is it's a great fight, honestly. I also just, I'm a big fucking Derek Lewis fan. I think he gets shit on f- for like so many reasons that are like not even uh, like fair. You know what I mean? Um, and he's hilarious. I don't give a fuck if you think his. He's corny or he's too vulgar. Um, he's hilarious. <laughs> Big fan of Derek Lewis. Um, so yeah, go give Brad a follow. Next question is from Phil the MMA Dude. Uh, at Phil the MMA Dude. Um, it says, Juice, what do you make of the Israel slash Yan potential fight? After last night, there's been a lot of talk about giving Glover the shot instead. What are your thoughts? Okay, so I've I've already given some, and I want to just expound upon it. And I and I just want to say, if you think Glover deserves the shot, that's fine. You're very well within your right to have that. It's not a bad take by any stretch of the imagination. He's the next contender in line. But if you're just saying that because you hate Izzy, get the fuck out of my mentions. And get the fuck out of this sport. This some some dude said Israel is the most unlikable or one of the most unlikable characters in this sport. Hey man, you may not like him, but there's a lot to like about him. He's not the most unlikable character in this fucking sport. Greg Hardy doesn't exist. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Rumble Johnson doesn't exist. And I'm just naming like domestic violence offenders. But come on, dude. Israel is fucking inspirational. I don't give a fuck what you haters think. Because here's the thing. Either way, like let's say it wasn't Israel. Let's say they decided that the fight to make was the Reyes rematch. And that was already talked about. And from both guys, it's agreed upon. Whether or not the contracts are in place is immaterial, in my opinion. That's the next fight. Dana said it. He put it out there. Israel said, I'm finding Jan. Jan said, I'm finding Israel. We're doing it in March 2021. They basically have a date, even though it's not an exact date, they have a month and year. They're doing that fight. So let's say it was Reyes. Let's say they're like, okay, you know what? Reyes uh, was a six-week notice. You know, he really should have got the belt against John Jones. He deserves a rematch. So let's book that fight uh, March 2021 with a full camp. And then all of a sudden, Glover comes in with this amazing performance in a 5-5 win streak. And now people are like, well, yeah, he exists. Glover should get the next shot. You're right to say that. But to say he's more deserving 
uh, of of a of a current champion is not it, dude. It's it did it goes against everything the MMA is about as far as the uh, history of the entertainment aspect of it. Like I said, if you're saying because he's uh, the number one contender, if he's a five five win streak, that shit only matters when they wanted to. They gave you old Romero a title shot off of two losses. They gave Jose Aldo a title shot off a loss. They gave Chael Sonnen uh, a fucking two title shots off a loss. That doesn't matter, yo. So let Glover be next. Yes. But not over Izzy. That fight is already discussed. That's already in place. I don't give a fuck if it makes you mad. I don't care if you hate champ champs and you think it's going to clog the divisions. Boo-hoo, dude. Izzy's next. Deal with it. All right. Now that I got that off my chest, go back to being wholesome juice. Um, This text question from JoeBlog74, at JoeBlog74. Love this guy. Go give him a follow. He says... What would you like your new president to do and change while he's in power? And I knew I read this question and I knew I was saving all my thoughts on it until this. So I thank you for asking it. So for the past several months, I mean, basically since I started this podcast, and if you ever listen to my other uh, podcast, Mixed Martial Opinions, you would know that I fucking hate Trump. He's deplorable. He's a nasty, vile piece of shit. Uh, He's racist. He's xenophobic. He's transphobic. He's homophobic. He's a piece of shit. I don't care if you like his tax reform, if you think it's good for the economy. He's a piece of shit. And I can't vote for shit. And and so when we're forced in a situation where he's going against Joe Biden. Okay, Joe Biden is a problematic politician. He's a career politician who has been bought and paid for by large companies. We know this. We know this. So to think that he's going to enact real change is not even like I have very little hope of that, but he's still better than Trump. Like anyone was better than Trump. Joe exotic was fucking better than Trump. And Joe exotic is also a piece of shit, but I felt like I was forced to vote for Biden. The DNC really don't give a fuck about democracy. Really? Uh, they keep putting these fucking shitty candidates. I think they want, I think honestly, I honestly feel like the Democrats didn't even want Joe Biden to get in power. Like they wanted to have Trump in so they could push their narrative uh, around. Like, uh, why? Like the same people that fucking let Hillary get get the the nod over Bernie. Like y'all are fucking, y'all ain't shit Democrats. But uh, there was no way I wasn't voting for Biden. I mean, there was a a point where I was like, okay, Joe Jorgensen has some good things to say. You know, voting third party isn't the worst. Um, But then... There was just some other stuff that came out where I was like, oh, she's really not cut to fucking run. And when you think about the system we have in place, that like voting third party and like in protest of the of the two party system is fine, dude. But with the checks and balances of the way the government is set up, they can't really enact the policies they want unless the Senate is is on board. So like honestly, I think I feel like having a third party uh in office wouldn't even do any good. Even if I agreed with every single one of their platforms, like I honestly feel like the system is is set up for us to fail in that regard. So I felt like I literally felt like I had a gun pointed to my head and said, you have to vote for Joe Biden. And I was like, okay, fine. And I feel like his response to the coronavirus is going to be monumentally better than Trump's. Like for that, I'm grateful. So he's going to do a lot of things that I'm, I'm maybe going to be proud of in a sense, but I'm also probably going to be very critical of others. Um, I feel like he's going to put more funding for the police, which is not good. Um, I feel like, 
you know, although his running mate, Kamala Harris, has put a lot of people in prison for marijuana charges, she spoke about wanting to decriminalize marijuana. Whether that's, that's just to get votes, I don't know. See, that's the thing is like you have to sometimes just take these at face value. Um, I'm happy that they want to decriminalize marijuana because I now live in a state that has done that and I'm fucking stoked and everyone needs to do it. It's it's good for, for the world. It's good for the economy. It's just, everything's good about it. There's no negatives. Like I had a fucking coworker that was like, I vote in favor because my kids. It's like, no, like you have to be 21 to get it like, and what's the worst? The, like a kid fucking can get like a little high, bro. And I'm not advocating for that by any means. Like calm down. But like, booze exist and that's worse and they already can get that there are fucking teen like dude especially like living here uh like there's teenagers that like get drunk every weekend like stop with your fucking war on drugs like stop but um as far as policies i would like him to to put in place honestly i'm a fan of less government um and but and i don't think that that's something that can be solved under this administration because We've put ourselves in a position where, like I said, we're set up to fail because now the only way to get people to do anything is with laws and with government. And the solution to government problems is more government. I mean, it shouldn't be. It should be less government. But the way it's set up, it has to be. And it sucks. Really sucks. So to answer your question, Joe Bloggs, I don't know. But I'm just happy that we're getting fucking Cheeto face out of office. Fuck Trump, yo. Fuck Trump. Fuck anyone that supported him for this all four years uh, with his racist rhetoric and his uh, fucking uh, terrible response to the coronavirus. Terrible response. Fuck that, dude. Fuck Trump. Fuck Donald Trump. Fuck, fuck Donald Trump. I forget who wrote that, but uh, there's a video that cracks me up every time. John Early. Um, was a comedian dance to it um, in front of the White House, White House. And he's like, are you horny for impeachment? And that's just playing in the background. It's like, fuck Donald Trump. And he's like twerking and shit. I love it. Um, but yeah. Um, Joe Bloggs actually has another question about MMA that is really interesting that I should stop talking about politics because you've turned it off by now. All right. Joe's next question says, who do you want to see coach on the new Ultimate Fighter? I heard it's middleweights and welterweight fighters and heard it could be Colby versus Jorge. Honestly, there was a time when Colby versus Jorge was interesting to me. Um, and that has largely passed. Um, some of it could be interesting. Like, I mean, stylistically, it, it could be a fun fight. I mean, Colby probably fucking raw dogs him a little bit, but Jorge also has like really good takedown defense and um, could end up catching him. I don't know. I mean, gun to my head. Like if I was like who I'm, I fucking want to see get knocked out more. It's Colby, but if uh, Jorge was like fighting anyone else, I want to see that fucking guy get knocked out too. Um, I turned on him hard. I was like a big Jorge fan. Um, I've been a fan of his like well before the Ben Askren knockout, which is like really when a lot of people started, or like the Darren Till knockout, even like three piece and soda and all that. Like I was well before that, I was a fan of him, and then, ugh. He's just so fucking like the intrigue was there when when Colby like turned on him and it was like, all right, fucking we're not friends anymore. Like you're you're a bitch or whatever. Um, and then 
at that point, we weren't sure whether or not Jorge supported Trump. It was just like like someone had mentioned it, and, and he like basic, he like changed the subject or like didn't want to talk about it. But then, dude, now he's on this fucking crusade and like tour with Trump, talking about like how socialism is bad, even though Biden is like the furthest thing from a socialist. Like, oh my god, so stupid. Um, and and now he's basically gone full MAGA, bro. And now they both they got nothing. I mean, Jorge's gimmick was never about that. So, like, he'll he'll be fine in that regard. But at the same time, like, it'll just be boring as shit. Even though the only thing that would be fun is if they start talking about, like, if it gets personal and, and they start talking about when they were roommates and, like, you slept on my couch and I fed your ass and you fucking broke, bitch. Um, that would be fun. But for the most part, I think it would be lame. And I think, like, Colby would be the only one that would be, like, interested in coaching. Uh, because of his like wrestling background and things like that. But so, and then we would like see like a human side of Colby that I'm just not interested in seeing. And then conversely, Jorge would probably like be that guy, like Connor was in his season where like not showing up to practice really. And he, or he would just like get his other coaches involved and just sort of like sit back and watch and just be like a figurehead. I'm not interested in that dude. What I would be interested in is, um, I would like to see Israel on the Ultimate Fighter. Um, I don't know. Something about that is intriguing to me. But, like, I don't know who that is. Like, Rob already coached the Ultimate Fighter opposite Kelvin in the last season. So, like, if they do the Rob rematch, like, that wouldn't be that intriguing. Um, I also wouldn't even mind, like, the historically the ultimate fighter was like the coaches would fight each other, but then somewhere along the way that lost even, in, and even when they were in the same weight class and they didn't always fight each other. Like I would love to see, uh, one that was like a friendly competition, like bring back fucking like do Israel and then have the other person be like, um, like Amanda Nunes, you know, like that would be fun, fun as fuck. I don't know. Um, in some ways, I, I do want to see Tony get on the Ultimate Fighter too because he was a contestant. He was a winner. Um, that would be fun. Like Tony versus Tony versus Michael Chandler. How about that, dude? Tony and Michael Chandler opposite each other. Like I know I just said they don't have to fight, but like, can you imagine if that's how we convince them to to fight each other is with the Ultimate Fighter? And we have a guy who's like making his fucking promotional debut. And before you say that uh that's never happened or it shouldn't happen season 14 mayhem versus bisping mayhem was brought in to coach the show and he had had one fight in the ufc against gsp like years ago welterweight but he came in as a middleweight to fight bisping and then like hadn't fought in the ufc in years and then they cut him after that so you can literally sign someone just for the ultimate fire there's a precedent and it's been done i'm getting hyped just thinking about it but even like okay you know what else they could do that isn't talked about enough they don't even have to be active fighters. Like season three, I think of Tough Latin America was Forrest Griffin and Chuck Liddell after they'd both retired. And obviously they didn't fight like, bro, get goddamn Habib in there to, to coach, uh, against, I don't know. Who's like someone that recently retired as well. I don't know. Figure it out. But you know, or even like legends, like fucking Mark Coleman and Ensign Inouye. I'm in a group chat with them. You're you're not as cool as me. Anyway, dude, like that would just be amazing uh, to have like legit legends in the fight game that are no longer fighting to coach the Ultimate Fighter. That would probably be what I would want to see because it's like it would be something new. 
You know what I mean? That's all I want to see is something new, regardless of who it is. Uh, next question is from Cyrus King. The name says Cyrus Kong. I feel like it's a reference that I'm missing. Um, but anyways, uh, shouts to Cyrus. He's an amazing podcast, Combat Corner. Um, just a great human being overall. He says, how do you like Glover's chances versus Jan? Honestly, if I had to pick right now, today, I'd say Glover beats him. And that's probably recency bias. Like, I'm forgetting the legendary Polish power. By the way, Jan's interview with... Um, <laughs> with Erawani recently was so funny. Um, they asked if like he, people think he's a beatable champion or whatever. If people are overlooking him, and he's like, "It's okay. They will find out. They will see the legendary Polish power. It's it's real. It's serious. I'm not the joke." Or whatever. <laughs> I was just like <laughs> laughing, dude. But yeah, Glover's I think grappling is better than Jan, and he has a fucking chin, dude. And that to me is the interesting part. So like that's why I'm not worried. Like that's why you know. You can have Izzy versus Jan. Izzy styles on Jan, walks away unscathed, and then has to fight Glover. That's super interesting to me. How about that? I don't know. Great question, Cyrus. Uh, we also got the last one. It's kind of a weird note to end the forum, but there was a comment from uh, this guy's name is Richard at Big Dak Rick. Um, he says, Not a question, but I put 300 on Santos and I'm salty today. <laughs> I told him I'm definitely reading that. Like, there's no way it, I'm just not getting read. So, uh, shouts, shouts to that guy, and uh, shouts to you all for for getting this far, because we are uh, we have reached the end. Um, normally, this would be the time when I would re re not recap but break down and preview, give my picks for next week's fight card. But honestly. It's in shambles at the moment, and like I said, this may or may not be my last episode, or it's definitely my last episode in a while. So it would be weird to to, to just break down the fight. You gotta kind of, I don't know, put things in perspective. But like Islam versus RDA is a great fight, but we're no longer getting that. Some people say it's injury, but then I think it was Big Jim soon had posted that like um, uh, Islam posted on Instagram and sounded like he was losing to the coronavirus. Like he's like, my team has fought disinfection or whatever. It's obviously like a bad translation. So I think it might be the coronavirus. Again, this is why like we have to be appreciative of what we get sometimes and, and, and maybe start to rethink the frequency of these fight cards because people are testing positive left, right, and center, bro. So yeah, it just seemed like with that card sort of like in limbo or at least the main event is in limbo, I don't think... This this uh, this fight card is worth me talking about right now with with it potentially being the last episode. So, if this is the last one, thank you everyone uh, over the past year and a half who has supported me and listened to the show. It means more than you will ever know. Um, there was a time, you know, the amateur podcasters we kind of talk amongst each other and we talk about numbers and things like that. And there was a time when I was. Uh, way higher than I thought I would be or than I should be. You know, I was kind of like right up there neck and neck or or number two with uh, with one of the biggest ones out there. So I really uh, appreciate all the love and support from everyone. And uh, it sucks that um, we're in this position where I'm, I'm feeling disillusioned with MMA. And um, I know I should be thankful for uh, for what we have, but it it's getting tough at the moment. So with that, I will say... If you have any inkling of interest at all in theater, 
or musicals or music in general, check out my Breaking the Fourth Wall podcast. Next episode I'm doing is on Passing Strange, which is the, actually that's a musical for people to hate musicals because it's not a traditional musical. It's more of like a rock soul concert. And it's also, uh, I think, really topical uh, at this point in time with Cheeto Face being out of office. So I will end it on that note. Fuck Trump. Black Lives Matter. Be kind to one another. And for the last time, good night and good fights.